Bibles to the book of Isaiah this morning. Isaiah 64 is where we're going to be for this morning's message. We're beginning this series on Advent. And uh, I always look back to see what I've preached in years past to make sure that I don't just duplicate something or bring it back up. Um, did you guys realize that Christmas comes around every December? Some of you did. Some of you are still in shock by that. But when I, when I preach through some of these things, it's like every year you preach Christmas. It's one, the most wonderful story that we get to preach as, as preachers of God's Word. And, and, and so you, you try to take God's Word and you try to, to be obedient with it and to, to deliver His message for His people for His time. And uh, I want to do that as well. But I realized something as I went back and, and studied some of those past messages I must really like the idea of hope in my life. Um, thank you in the three plus years we've been here. I've probably preached on hope ten times in those three years. So thank you for not coming back to me and saying, Pastor, we've already heard this. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, and so thank you for that. This is fresh. Uh, in fact, to give you full transparency, um, we were on vacation. I finished this message last night. And so I'm thankful for God's real voice in his real time. Amen. And I'm thankful for that. So today I wanted to talk to you about the process of hope as we look at Isaiah 64. And there's so many things that we could talk about when it comes to hope. But today I want us to look at the process that we go through when we experience hope and we give hope a chance, if you will. But um, we were able to go on vacation this past week and got to spend some time with family over Thanksgiving. And I want to say thank you for that opportunity and that blessing. It was so good to be with my parents as well as Alicia's side of the family. We kind of made the big, the big circle around uh, the mid, middle part of the country, if you will. And we spent the first part of our time camping, believe it or not. Uh, I am not a camper. Uh, I, that is not my forte. But uh, Alicia found a great opportunity for us to make a memory. And we rented an RV. How many of you ever rented an RV? Nobody. Couple of you, okay. Some of you have RVs. I know you do. And this is a picture. This isn't the exact one we had, but uh, this this company, I would recommend them. I don't know who they are. Alicia did all of that, but they come, they set it up for you. You pay them uh, kind of like a hotel or a, an Airbnb if you've ever done that. Then you they come back to the site, they tear it all down, they clean it. It's it's wonderful. It's it really is glamping, as they say. It's it's glamorous camping is what it is. And and we, we just fell in love with it. We had a great time. And uh, this is a picture of, of what it sort of looked like, uh, our camper looked like. We were with some friends down in the Branson area and uh, just had a great couple of days. And one of the first things I think of when I think about camping is I think about campfire. And I love the smell of a good campfire. And then when you have a campfire, something that usually comes out of that is you have a treat with a campfire. You have s'mores, right? And so I'm not a big s'more fan. I think they're too messy. I don't like messes. I don't like all the work that goes into a 15-second treat. I, I don't like that, but there they are. Uh, I don't mean to make you hungry this morning, but um, that's a picture of a pretty good s'more, I would say. Uh, got a little bit of char on there. You can see the 
the the marshmallow melting there if you get close enough that some of that chocolate is starting to melt a little bit what an incredible treat a s'more is and as i as i thought about hope when it comes to our life i thought about s'mores believe it or not because there's a lot that goes into a s'more taking place so let me, let me just share this story with you and break it down with you for a little bit. We went camping, and the first night we were there, we thought, you know what, let's go down and let's make a campfire so we can have s'mores for dessert. And so we went down to where this, uh, we stayed in this RV park, and they had an office there, and we didn't bring any wood with us, so they, had, they know that there's people like us that do this, so they had it all ready for us. And there's a bundle of wood, and the one thing that we were missing is we didn't have any kindling. We didn't have anything to really start the fire with. And so we just were, were really just racking our brains about it. So we went into their little shop, a uh, little common house that they had in this RV park, and there was a stack, I'm not kidding, this high of local pamphlets. It's Branson, so there's pamphlets for everything, right? But they're booklets, they're, they're little advertisement booklets, and there was probably 500 of them sitting in this thing. And I thought, you know what? They're not going to miss a few of these. Um, so we took those, and it's it's a common room. We can we can share these things, right? And so we took them, and we started ripping the pages out and ask, asking the kids to rip them out. And we started crumbling them up and throwing them in the fire to start the fire. And so we're getting the fire going, and then all of a sudden, the, the kindling would burn out before the wood could take. And and it was just, it was a long process, as many of you know, that, that work with fire. And as we continue to go, again, this is not my cup of tea, so I just let my buddy handle it. And I watched as he struggled. And he would get the fire going, and it would start to go, and we'd get some little twigs, and the twigs would start to burn up. And then all of a sudden, we thought that it would take the log, and the log would be burning, and then all of a sudden, it would die back down. And we went through this for about a half hour of just sitting there out in the cold November night in Branson, Missouri, trying to get to the point of having this wonderful treat of s'mores. So the night started with an incredible anticipation, a hopeful moment that we were going to be able to enjoy this wonderful treat. But as this wonderful treat was going to be had by everyone, only a few people partook in the process of getting to that point. And the fire would begin to grow and we would get it to go and then all of a sudden it would die back down. It, we would get it built back up again and then all of a sudden it would dwindle a little bit. And after about an hour, we began as adults to look around and there are no kids to be found. We thought maybe they don't want s'mores anymore. They've waited too long. Their hope is faded in having this wonderful treat. And we as adults looked at each other and we thought, you know what, is it really going to be worth it? Do we really have enough fire to make this happen? So finally, the fire took. The fire was hot. The embers were roaring. roaring, And even if you listen closely, the logs began to scream as the fire was working itself through the wood. The sugar ball in a bag is placed on a stick. It is put into the roaring embers of the fire. You place that marshmallow into the fire, trying to get it to melt without scorching it to death and having the black tar all around your marshmallow. 
But when you're able to withstand being that close to the fire, to get that little ball of sugar to the perfect consistency, you remove that perfect ball of sugar and you place it on this wonderful sandwich of cracker and chocolate. Whoever invented this thing was a genius. You take that first bite and you wonder, wow, this was incredible. I think I'll have s'more. Thank you, Annie, for laughing at my joke. I appreciate that, yeah. But if you're not a big fan of this treat, you sit back and you watch everyone make their dessert and you thank the Lord that you're not having to get sticky or mess with the fire and you're not having to get all smoky being all down close in it and you don't have to deal with the mess of the treat. But if you're that person like I am normally, you begin to watch and observe as everyone else takes in the joy and consumes the joy of this wonderful treat. What a fun time of thinking that you're good and you're, you're okay to just let this one pass. But then you see the pure joy. You see them partaking of seconds. And you realize, I've got to have a part of this. No one can be left out. You see, when we want to enjoy that treat or the joy that sometimes makes us wonder if the work or the process is going to be worth it, I've even found myself to be a complainer during those times. It's cold out here. This fire is not good enough. It's taking too long. Why can't we get this to happen sooner? And we wonder if it's ever going to be worth it. I want to be so bold today as we dig into God's Word, to compare the process of a s'more with the process of hope of the coming Messiah. We're going to see in our text this morning that so much took place and had to happen for the people of Israel. And even I would encourage us to understand, even for us today, still waiting and anticipating the second coming. So much took place that we need to realize that the hope is still there. Amen? Let's look to God's Word to see how we can better prepare and be ready for this experience of hope, of receiving our King this Christmas and Advent season. Isaiah chapter 64. I want to begin reading with verse number 1. You follow along as I read from God's Word. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, 
and all, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. This is the word of the Lord for his people today. Thanks be to God. This is Advent, week one of 2020. A time in our world where things can seem to be pretty hopeless. However, as we look to the coming Messiah, we strive to find hope as the Israelites did in our text today. It makes me, once again, go back to this word hope. What is hope? What are we anticipating? What are we awaiting? What do we expect to happen? Just to give you a refresher, I, I, I looked up the word hope just to make sure that I had the right uh, idea of where we were headed. And what are we waiting for? Hope. Here are two definitions for the word hope. Number one, hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. The second definition of hope is this. Hope is grounds for believing that something good may happen. So if we were to kind of mesh these two together, a feeling of expectation that something good is going to happen. The process of hope. The process of hope that I want us to see today is, is, is a few different steps that I think we can see from our text this morning. The first step is this. Hope begins as a good idea for everyone. Hope begins for a good idea for everyone. You see, the start of the process is great. We all have this hope of the coming Messiah. The people of Israel have been told for many, many years, the Messiah is coming. Our Lord is coming. And the beginning thoughts of hope are great because everyone and everything is looking for something good to come. Let's look at these parallel stories, if you will humor me today, of s'mores and the Messiah. When we think about the idea of s'mores, it's a great treat for everyone to enjoy. Even as my kids still today will ask, Dad, can we have a fire? I know what they're really asking. Dad, can we have s'mores? And my first thought always goes to, this is a great idea for us all to enjoy it, but I've got to do all the work. It's great for everyone. You see, and that's the same idea in this, in this process of hope for the, for the Israelites as they're looking forward to the Messiah. It's a great idea and they want everyone to be a part of it. They want everyone to experience the coming Messiah. And we see it right away in our text. Verse 1 says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. How many of you this week use the word rend in a daily conversation? No. 
I'm not going to ask you how many of you know what it means because I'm going to tell you what it means here in just a minute. But as I was reading this and I was studying this, I was going over it. Why is this? I, I was talking, I talked to two pastors this week. Um, they happened to be related to me, but we were talking about this very text. And, and I was talking to my brother and I said, I said, Brady, it's the, it's the Isaiah 64 text. And the first thing that came to his mind was, he goes, oh, that's the Rend the Heavens text. I thought, yeah, it is. This must mean something better to you than me, because to me, I'm just like, rend the heavens. Where do I go with this? But as I studied it, the more and more I got into it, the more I just was fascinated by that simple four-letter word. And the Israelites understood it. Oh, that you, God Almighty, would rend the heavens. What does rend mean? Here we go. This is what rend means. It means to tear something into two or more pieces. The second definition was this, to wrench something violently. So as I mesh these two definitions together, it's to passionately tear something apart into two or more pieces. Why? So that everyone can have a piece. Oh God, that you would tear apart passionately the heavens so that we here on earth can experience your glory all the more. That's a great idea for everyone. Amen? Are you awake? Do you want to experience God's glory here on earth? It's the same thing we read in Scripture. God, that the heavens would come to earth and that Your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, that You would come down and make known that You would rend, that You would tear apart heaven so that we can experience Your glory. And the Israelites knew it. As they're going through this process, they're like, you know what? This is something great. And we know that our God is a good God. He's a great God. He's provided for us. He's provided us through exile. He's provided us through so many things in our life. And right now, we need Him again. We have this hope that God is good for all of us. They were expecting something great. You see, the hope for all people is that God would make Himself known to everyone. This becomes a good idea for everyone involved. S'mores, a good idea for all involved. The coming Messiah, a great idea for all creation. Amen? A good idea for everyone. The second part of this process, I believe, is that the reality of life reduces our hope. The reality of life reduces our hope. Again, bear with me for a little bit. When it comes to s'mores, the reality of s'mores reduces my hope that it's going to be worth it every single time. As we're building the fire, you're trusting you have enough fire to make the wood catch, to keep it burning, because without those bigger logs taking place and burning, you're not going to have those perfect embers to roast that perfect marshmallow. But it takes time to get there. Then you got to worry about the weather and the wind, and you got to worry about all that goes on to making sure everything is in place. And this camping trip, we had it all set out. We were ready to go, but we knew we had a small chance that we were going to run out of supplies. We had a small chance that we weren't going to enjoy this wonderful treat. And so as we began the process, can we get the fire started was our first question. 
Do we have enough materials to make the fire grow? We need to rip up more advertisement books for Branson. You know, take it all. Let me just stop for a minute. Those books were printed on some incredible paper and ink. I've never seen such color come out of a fire. It was awesome. But it reminded me, this is free, okay? If you're taking notes, this is free. Fire is a, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And every time I see a fire, I'm reminded of God's presence in my life. And I saw those colors coming out of this fire. And I thought, wow, that is so cool. That God can be so many things to so many people. These colors, the blues and the greens and the yellows coming out of a fire. I thought, I've never seen this color come out of a fire. Yeah, it was aided by these, this paper, but it was helping us. And it was helping me in that moment to continue to hang on to hope. We had the problem of, do we have enough crackers for everyone? Do we have enough chocolate? And finally, as, as I was sitting back and waiting and I wasn't going to partake, it came time for me to give in to temptation. And I looked over and my wonderful wife, she does a great job of just setting up crackers and chocolate for everyone. Because you know when you come out of that fire with that marshmallow, you just have a certain window to get it on that sandwich and just take a bite. You don't want that marshmallow to fall off your, your roaster and all these different elements. So she has these setups already pre-made for everybody. It's a wonderful idea. I'm so glad I married up. Wonderful. So I'm taking my marshmallow out of the fire. I'm walking over to one of these setups. And one of the kids runs in and puts their marshmallow right in front of me. So then my problem is, is there enough set up for me? Or is somebody going to take my treat? The hope I have is dwindling when it comes to s'mores. But I think the same thing holds true for us in life when we wonder, you know what, is it worth it? We read the lament of the Israelites and the prophet writes these words for his people and they're crying out for God to make himself known. Is this life going to be worth it, God? Are we going to get to the end of this time and are we going to wonder, did you come through for us? They're crying out for him to make himself known. Come down, rend the heavens so we can experience your greatness. And as they're, as they're lamenting, as they're crying out for God, this, this tone in their prayer, in this, in this lament, turns to a time of confession. And as I read that, I thought, you know what? That's kind of an odd transition when we just think about it in our own personal experiences. But then it hit me, no. Because if we're crying out for God to make Himself known, the reality of it is, is God and sin cannot coexist. God cannot be where sin is present. And so as the Israelites are, are pleading with God to make himself known, they're saying we still have hope. It's good for everyone that the Messiah is coming. They realize the reason might be that there's still sin in the camp. And God cannot make himself known and be present when sin abounds. And so we see in our text that the Israelites' tone changes. And they go from from pleading with God and lamenting, God, we need you to make yourself known to saying, God, examine our hearts. Maybe we're the problem. Maybe we have sin in our life that is preventing you from making yourself known. And they're starting to, 
this is just my interpretation of, of God's word here, is maybe they're starting to realize that the reality of life is causing their hope to dwindle. We are sinful people, they say. We have sinned. Our righteous acts are like filthy rags. See, the way they're crying out, though, I think this is very important for us to realize. They're not crying out for themselves as individuals. They're crying out for their nation. They're crying out for their family. They're crying out for their people. You see, when this was written, in the history of this text and what Isaiah is is talking about, the, the nation of Israel has already come through exile, and the generation that we're reading about was not even born when the Israelites were in exile. They were not the reason for the problem. And yet they're asking God to come and to make Himself known, but they realize that maybe our families, maybe our world has some issues and God can't make Himself known because He can't coexist with sin. And so they begin to confess in a corporate manner. Some people say, Pastor, why do we have all these prayer times where we talk about corporate confession? I'm not living in sin. I'm not, I'm not backsliding as good Nazarenes talk about. Why do we have to have corporate confession? It's an attitude that says, you know what? I don't know what everybody else is dealing with, but I want Him to come. And He can't come and abide here, live here, if there's sin that's still stagnant. So we have these times of corporate confession, just as the Israelites did, where we say, God, forgive us. We confess our past sins. We confess our bad attitudes. We, can, we confess everything that we had no control over because we want you so badly. Have you ever wanted God so badly that you started confessing the sins of everyone around you? Now, I don't know how God works, if that counts for them or not, if they're going to get to heaven on that. But if that means I get to experience His glory, maybe we should all have an attitude of repentance and confession for those things around us. Hmm. Well, Pastor, how can I cry out for confession when, when I'm forgiven of my sins? and I'm, I'm on the way to experience that glory. They're crying out for their people. They're crying out because the reality of life, the reality of life may not have been so bad for them as individuals, but they're part of something bigger. It's the same thing for us today. Maybe you or your family, you haven't experienced firsthand the situation of our world of, of COVID and all that's going on. Maybe you haven't experienced that in your home firsthand. Maybe you don't understand the gravity of the virus itself. That's fine. But it doesn't change the fact that it's still there, that people are dying. Maybe you haven't experienced the firsthand loss of somebody close to you this year. But it doesn't change the fact that people are, are heartbroken because they've lost loved ones this year. Maybe you haven't experienced individually and in your home the gravity of a, of a job loss this year or, or other detrimental things that have happened to your family. You've had a pretty good year considering everything. But you're still part of something bigger. You're still living in an evil world. So if we want to 
ask God to rend the heavens so that he can make himself known to his people, then maybe it's time for us, as the Israelites did, to realize that this process of hope, the reality of life can be straining, that it causes us to doubt. Are we ever going to see good things happen? Are we ever going to experience the fullness of hope again? You see, the process of hope, it's a good idea for everyone as it begins. But it then quickly moves to the reality of life, causes us to lose sense of our hope sometimes. The next process of, of hope is there comes a silent gap of uncertainty. There comes a silent gap of uncertainty. Let's jump back to the s'mores real quick. Some of you need a mental break for a moment. There comes a time in that preparation of the s'mores where the fire is just right. For us, last week, it was the fire was just right, but the supplies were gone. There was no more wood. So we looked at each other as the adults, the responsible people in that circle, and said, you know what, we probably got ten minutes. No kid was in sight. We did this for them. There's this silent gap. Our s'more is going to be a reality. So we begin to bring them all together. But in that brief moment, we looked around and thought, you know what? What are we doing? Is this really going to happen? We see in our text today the same thing happens. As you read verses 7 and 8, there's a gap in this text between verses 7 and 8. The, the smart people who write the big books tell us that there was a, a, an uncertainty here. There was a silence here. And it seems that they've expressed so much despair and so much concern that they just have nothing left to say. And all that's left is this silent gap of complete and utter hopelessness. In verse 7, it says, No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. If it ends there, all hope is gone. They're silent. And then verse 8. Verse 8 comes, and I'm so thankful because that silent gap doesn't last long in the process of hope. And it takes us to the next part of the process, which is that the glimmers of hope return for just Isaiah. No. The glimmers of hope return for the entire nation. And we read this in verse 8. He goes on to finish the text. It says, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Wow. In other words, their tone and language has changed again. They go into speaking about the Father being the potter and that He's in charge and that their lives are the clay and they're willing to let the potter mold them and shape them and make them into whomever and whatever He wants them to be. You see, they're willing to be molded into what God wants for them. They're not willing to stay in that state of hopelessness. In other words, 
they have hope once again. What is hope? Hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for certain things to happen. It's the grounds for believing that something good may happen. You see, when we can live out disobedience in our lives, it's then that we can feel this hope once again that God offers through Advent, through the coming of our Lord. The glimmer of hope, there's a catch. This glimmer of hope for all people is one that requires us to trust Him. This glimmer of hope that's for everyone, it requires us admitting that we need His help. It involves us confessing of our sins and our faults. It involves us trusting that God will give us the assurance of His hope that He will send His Son again. And we will be taken away to be with Him forever. Aren't you happy about that today? I don't know about you. There's been times over these last few months as we, as we hear people talk about the end times and we hear about this is the end, this is the end as we know it. And, and I don't know the timing of all that. I don't know. You know I'm never gonna, you're never going to hear me predict a date. You're never going to hear me say that. My Bible says that not even the Son of Man knows the time. But I do know that we can see things happening. And I do know that means that there's hope on the horizon. Why? Because our Messiah is coming again. And guess what? It's not just for me. It's not just for those that can gather and worship in person in America or across the world. That hope is a glimmer of hope for everyone. It's everyone. We can have that same hope again. As we wrap this up, we need to realize that there's going to be times in our lives when the circumstances of our life don't seem to give us much hope for a good future. Maybe for you, you've had a good life, you've had a good year, it hasn't been too bad, and it's as simple as thinking about building a fire for s'mores. Will it work out? Will it be worth the work involved? Or maybe it's more complex and real for you. Maybe it's more real for you and it's not, and it's just like the Israelites were going through. Maybe we're at a place where we're struggling to feel like God sees us right now. Maybe we're at a place where we're experiencing so much pain and so much loss that we feel hopeless of anything good ever happening again. Maybe we've stopped allowing God to guide our path. We've relied too much on our own strength and our own power. But today, we can experience that same hope again. Hope that is for all people. So even today, weeks before Christmas, when we will celebrate the light of our world coming again, when the earth will rejoice over the birth of Christ, in the midst of our despair today, we still cling to the hope that we are still His loved children. Amen? I want to invite you to take your communion elements this morning. and I just think it's so fitting on a day like today as we gather around the Lord's table and we think about that hope that He offers us. That we can partake of this sacrament together.
It's really what hope is all about. If you received your elements on the table, I want to make things clear to you. There's two different levels of packaging here. You have the bread and the juice in one cup. If you remove the first layer of that cellophane, cellophane, you can take the wafer out. And then you can remove the second layer and that you'll be able to take the juice when it's time. If you'll take that wafer out of there and hold that in your hands. In the Church of the Nazarene, communion is an open invitation. It's an invitation to relationship. It's an invitation to receive the hope that's for all people. There is a catch. And the catch is that you allow the Lord to examine your heart. Is there anything in your life that He may not be pleased with that would prevent Him from rending the heavens in your life? Then we need to make right. And we have an open communion policy and all that really says is that we believe that Jesus Christ came that he lived on this earth as the perfect example, but he also died the perfect sacrifice for all of our sin. And we can partake together if we're living in that right relationship with him. As Jesus met with his disciples on that last night together, he took the bread. And I believe he reminded his disciples of the last three years together. The Bible says he broke the bread. He gave thanks for the bread. He blessed the bread. And then he invited his disciples to partake. Today, as you take the bread, would you take it remembering the invitation that God has for you for a right relationship with him and be thankful. Take and eat the bread. The Bible says after dinner, Jesus took the cup. Sometimes I wonder as he took the cup if he if he ever wondered if the reality of what he was about to face caused him to lose hope. I don't think so. I believe as he looked at the cup with a smile on his face he looked at his disciples and he said when you take this cup be reminded that my blood is going to be shed for your sins as the perfect sacrifice so that we can have a right relationship forever. So every time you take this cup and you drink be thankful. Be invited to a right relationship. Take, drink. Father God, you are so good to us. 
Your blessings are new every morning. Your mercies are new for us. And we give you praise for that. Your grace is endless. And Lord, today, no matter what our life has been over these last couple of weeks, couple of months, over this last year, as we as we near the end of our calendar year and we look forward with great expectation to the real reason for Christmas, you give us hope today. You remind us that you are our hope. You are what we're looking forward to. You are what we have a great expectation for. God, today as we leave this place, may we not leave here in despair, but may we leave here understanding that your hope is what we need. May we receive your hope today as you give it to us. And may we be bold enough to share our hope with someone else this week. We thank you, God, for your perfect plan. And we look forward to the coming of our Messiah once again. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. As you go today, go in the peace of God knowing that He loves you. And so do I. Have a great day. We'll see you tonight at 6.30.